Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, I am pretty regularly astounded when there are major events that happen in the life of the church, and then the very next Sunday, whatever the appointed reading in the lectionary is, always seems to speak to it. It is really quite wonderful. And there is maybe no better example of this than uh, right now, we have this wonderful text concerning rich, the rich man and Lazarus right on the heels of commemorating the death of our sister in Christ, Ruby. Now, th there is this, this reality in the church that, that this text speaks to especially, that the church is primarily in the business of preparing people to die a blessed death which is certainly, God be praised, what the Lord gave to Ruby. Now, th this text speaks on a whole number of things. It, it's, uh, it is the Sadis Doctrinae, the, the seed of doctrine, for a whole myriad of things. If you read in the Confessions or in the Lutheran Dogmaticians, this text shows up constantly. Uh, and we, we do not have time, so don't worry. We don't have time to cover all those things in a single sermon. So the next year we'll do something different. But there, there are a couple of things that we should probably zero in on in light of last week and yesterday. That this text speaks to us particularly concerning death and eternity. Now, one of the things with death is that death for the Christian is two things. It seems to be contradictory. Death is both our enemy and death is our gift. Now, now, the first is fairly plain. Death is our enemy. We know this. We know this in the fact that when we look at death, when we encounter death, regardless of how well catechized we are on this, there is a fearfulness or a turning of the stomach at death, which is, which is good, I think because we recognize that death is evil, death is a product of the fall, and it's not good. I, I even have this in myself when, when I encounter death, as, as often as I have preached against the fear of death, it's not yet fixed itself so firmly in my own heart and mind that I don't have some inkling of fear myself, uh, either when I encounter the death of others or even considering my own death. Now, Jesus also knows that death is not good. Uh, in fact, there's this in interesting and, and quite wonderful thing that every time Jesus encounters a dead person in the Gospels, he raises them up. Uh, this occurs particularly three times. You have the, the son of the widow at Nain that they are passing by with, uh, with the, the pallbearers, and he stops the procession, and he touches the, the beer, and he gets up. 
You have uh, Jairus's daughter, who he goes into the house and gives this wonderful confession. She's not dead, but sleeping. And then you have Lazarus, different Lazarus, not this one, different Lazarus that he goes to the, the tomb of and calls him out. So every time Jesus encounters someone who's dead, he raised him back up, including himself, which is pretty great, that, that Jesus experiences death himself, three days worth of it, which, at which time he says, essentially, okay, that's enough, enough of that, and he comes back out. So that Jesus understands that death is evil, and he undoes it a number of times and promises that this is, in fact, what we're looking for on the last day, that the death is ultimately undone, that he raises everybody out of their graves. And this is why death is then not just an enemy for us, but it's a defeated enemy, and it's a gift. We have Christ's death and his resurrection, and we're promised that we will have the same. And this is, this is the gift then that brings us out of this veil of tears, this, this valley of the shadow of death, and into the glorious light, the eternal light of the Lord. That's why we sing, for instance, uh, now in Christ, death cannot slay me. Though it might day and night trouble and dismay me, Christ has made my death a portal from the strife of this life to his joy immortal. That's what our Lord uses death for now. And it is wonderful. And we see in the rich man and Lazarus that death is just a reality for us. It's bad, but it is overcome. And we see that in that when Lazarus in particular dies, that he's not in torment, that he's in the eternal bliss of the resurrection at the bosom of Abraham. And we rejoice that our sister Ruby is there as well, and that we will also follow, and that we will therefore see all of them again. And this is then the comfort that we have and, and what this text is ultimately driving at for us. Like, like I said, there's a number of things that it's teaching us, but it is driving at comfort in the face of death in particular. And that comfort is that there is eternity waiting for us. Now, when we have this text laid out for us, we can see that there is a very clear uh, comparing and contrasting of these two men, the rich man and the Lazarus, on both sides of eternity. Here in this life, you have the rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, if you don't know, purple clothes are the robes of royalty, and he feasts sumptuously every day. More than enough food. In fact, he has so much food that Lazarus is able to be fed simply by the crumbs that are falling off of the rich man's table, simply by just what gets knocked off, not even the leftovers that are thrown in the fridge, but just what gets knocked off the table. It's enough for Lazarus to survive on. And then you have, conversely, you have Lazarus, who's laid at the gate. Uh, it, it, it's passive, too. Like it, it, The picture is almost like somebody is driving a van by and just dumps Lazarus out at the gate of the rich man and then drives off. That's kind of the way the verbs read. That, that's what's going on. And and he sits there, and he's, uh, he has nothing to eat. He has no, no clothing, it seems. Uh, and he's licked by the dogs. It seems is maybe the only comfort that he has in this life. The dogs are his physicians, essentially. That's the contrasting in this life. 
And then the great equalizer shows up. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to the side of Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. Death showed up and it didn't matter how much the rich man had and how little Lazarus had. Both of them died. And then they go into these opposite sides that that the rich man is in this torment, in this flame of fire. He longs to have even just a drop of water to quench his thirst. And Lazarus is in bliss, seemingly just unaware even of what's going on. There's no conversation that's going on between the rich man and, and Lazarus. It's the rich man and Abraham. Lazarus just seems to be perfectly happy, unaware of any of this going on. Now, there, there's something that we have to wrestle with with this text, and, and a little bit of a temptation, and that is what causes the flip, or the seemingly flip. And one of the temptations, I know we've talked about this before, is that the, the rich man ends up in hell because he's rich. The Lazarus ends up in heaven because he's poor. That's simply not true. Uh, our Old Testament text brings up one of the great patriarchs, Abram, later to be called Abraham, one of the wealthiest men in the history of creation. And he's the picture, then, of heaven in this text from Jesus. Abraham's wealth did not prevent him from getting to heaven. So what is it? What is it that is going on between these two men? One ends up in one place and one ends up in the other. Now, the other temptation, I want to press back against this. I think I've probably preached this way in the past, and I'm, I'm starting to kind of change my thinking on this a bit because the text just doesn't say it. Normally, when we read this text and we hear it preached, and like I said, I've preached this way, it's not necessarily wrong, is that the, the, the rich man has no love for the poor man, for Lazarus. This rich man just disregards Lazarus. And that his sin is particularly a breaking of the seventh commandment, that he's stingy. And then we also, on the other side, we ascribe to Lazarus all sorts of holiness and righteousness and good works. But none of those are in the text. It doesn't say that. And I want to push back in maybe a little bit different direction to think of it, at least as a possibility here. I think either way is possible because, again, the text doesn't speak to it, and it's not the main point, but it helps to guard us from thinking that the rich man is in, in torment for the wrong reason. That there is a sort of mercy that the rich man is having on Lazarus by allowing him to be at his gate and to beg and to be fed with his scraps. Put this into our context. Which of us would be fine with a homeless guy sitting at the end of our driveway day in and day out and asking anybody who came by for food or nourishment or clothing or whatever and was constantly knocking on our door asking if we had any leftovers from our meal. How many of us would put up with that? I, I don't think there's very many of us that would, at least not for very long. And yet this is the picture of the rich man that, that he's doing. And we also get later on that his, his brothers, uh, we, we hear have Moses and the prophets, that is, these are churchgoers. And we remember that this is told to the Pharisees. 
concerning their the, thinking themselves righteous by their works. So this is, this is the sort of guy that would have been well-liked in society, well-liked in the community, probably somewhat of a philanthropist. The, the point is that it's not specifically a breaking of the seventh commandment that is landing this guy here. It's a breaking of the first. That perhaps the rich man does not love Lazarus, but the reason why he doesn't love Lazarus, if that's the case, is because of what St. John preached to us in the epistle, because he doesn't love God. Love flows from God to us, to our neighbor. If we do not love God, whom we have not seen, we cannot love our neighbor whom we have seen. That, that's the point. And the, the rich man is there in torment because he does not have the love of God born out of the scriptures. And then this is where we get to the, the, the meat of the thing, that he tells Abraham to send Lazarus back so that his brothers would believe, believing through a miracle, not through God's word. And Abraham says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them, not Lazarus, Moses and the prophets. And the rich man's answer tells you everything you need to know about his faith or lack thereof. The very first thing he says, no. And, and in Greek, it is immensely emphatic. You, you say nigh, that's just say general no. This is ume, by no means, nor with an exclamation point. It's like he's yelling at Father Abraham at the mere thought of them hearing the scriptures. If someone should rise from the dead, they'll believe. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe should someone rise from the dead. If our faith is not born out of the hearing of God's word, it will not matter what else we have in this life, whether riches or poverty, whether miracles or no miracles, it will not matter. Now, the wonderful thing is, you dear saints sitting here, and also Ruby, have Moses and the prophets, and have believed them. That's why you're here. And it is wonderful, and we should rejoice in that. We should look around the room and see so many people that have heard Moses and the prophets, heard the scriptures, and been brought to faith and repentance, and therefore into the eternity of the resurrection already. And we should rejoice, like the angels rejoice in the heavens. And we should rejoice that that means that we're going to go on the last day and we're going to see Ruby again. And we're going to see Abraham and Lazarus. And we're going to see Moses and the prophets. And we can go up and shake their hand and say, thank you. And it will be wonderful. So that no matter how much you have or how much you don't have, you have the one thing needful. You remember this from Mary and Martha? The one thing needful is hearing Jesus' voice. The one thing needful is having the scriptures, and through that, faith. And through that, everything. You can be like Lazarus and have nothing in this life, but if you have Moses and the prophets, you have everything. You have Jesus. You have his righteousness. That, that's why Lazarus is there. Remember, uh, Abram, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That's Lazarus too, and that's also you. Your faith 
is counted to you as righteousness, as, as all the good works in all of creation. Your faith is counted to you as that. You have all of these eternal treasures in God's word placed into your ears and implanted into your heart and your mind, clothing you in your baptism and in a little bit being placed upon your lips. And in that you have everything, every treasure of Christ in heaven and eternity. And so in the face of death, considering eternity, this is why we can pray and be comforted. Deliver us from evil, knowing that the Lord will do that. He's done that for Ruby. He will do that for us. That we can pray, as we will in a bit, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my own eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations of the glory of your people Israel. He's heard that prayer of Ruby and answered it, and he will hear it from us as well. And he'll hear our, our prayer that we're going to sing at the very end of the service, the very last stanza. Lord, let at last thine angels come. To Abram's bosom bear me home, that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. And then from death awaken me, that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. He's heard that prayer from Ruby. He will hear it from us. And we will be reunited with her, Abraham, Lazarus, with Moses and the prophets, and all the saints who have gone before us and all who will come after. May the Lord always keep us in this faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.